We have been looking the last few weeks uh, just at uh, accounts in the Gospels of Jesus and just looking at Jesus as, uh, just as he is the main character of these accounts. And this morning we're going to look at John chapter 8, excuse me, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read one, verses 1 through 10, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. It says, in those days, when a crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And they asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thanks for this morning, or thanks for your word, thanks that we can worship you, or thanks that we can gather freely and do that, Lord, thanks for your protection for us throughout this week, and Lord, we just want to lift up the churches and the Christians down in Florida this morning, and just uh, the people of Florida that are recovering from the hurricane. God, I pray you just give them grace, give them the peace, give them just the energy and the strength that they would need. I pray you continue to protect them. Lord, I pray that you just teach us, Holy Spirit, from your word this morning, that you would encourage us with it, you would help us with it, and that we would see Jesus. And we'd just be drawn to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The world is starving for a yearning love, a love that remembers instead of forsakes, a love that isn't tied to our loveliness, a love that gets down underneath our messiness, a love that is bigger than the enveloping darkness we might be walking through every day. Dane Ortland said in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that the world is starving for a yearning love that remembers instead of forsakes. I was watching a news program this week, and they were talking about all the things going on in the world. And one of the people around the table, this is what she said in her response when they asked her her opinions to the things that they just heard. She goes, she said, there is a brokenness in humanity right now that is frightening to me. There is a culture of disrespect for the human condition that is so fundamentally disturbing and politics does not fix that. What does fix that? Or who will fix that? And the answer to that is Jesus fixes that. 
That's what we believe as Christians. Jesus fixes that. He is the one who has come into a starving world and has demonstrated this unbelievable love. He is love. He represents what love is. He shows us what love looks like. And in Mark chapter 8, we come to an amazing story and and a true account of what Jesus did when he was demonstrating who he is and what he is like for the world. When he did this account, Jesus' disciples had gone out. If you have to, just the context, they had taken his disciples out. They had gone out on this journey, uh, a ministry, and then he'd taken them out, and he'd left Galilee, where he had spent most of his times with, with Jews and other fellow Jews. Jesus was a Jew as a human being on earth, and he was a, he was still stayed in Galilee. And then he took his disciples, and they went to the area that was more filled with Greeks and different gods and different ideas in different religions, and they walked around there for a number of days. It calls the Decapolis, 10 cities, this desolate foreign area, and they had been walking around doing that. And this is how Jesus lived. To spend time with Jesus was to spend a lot of time walking. I mean, he just walked in a real place with real people. And he walked in this wilderness, and this is where they were. It was a desolate place filled with small towns, all distance from each other, in this wilderness place, not filled with Jews who were looking for a Messiah, but Gentile peoples who had their own gods, had their own ideas about what God was like. And in the midst of all that, he had been doing these amazing miracles. I mean, these unbelievable miracles. If you read uh, Mark six, seven, and eight up to this point. He had just been doing all these amazing miracles. These, these Gentile women had, had come to faith. He'd healed a deaf man. And then all these people just were crowded around him. They started to follow him. They'd, they'd never seen anything like this. Who, who is this guy who has come over here and he's going to do all these wonders? And in the midst of all these wonders that they had they'd just spent days with him, watching them do all these amazing miracles and wonders, and they were just amazed by this person, Jesus. And in the midst of all that, all the excitement that's going on, it still demonstrates that there were just real people. There was real wants and real wrinkles. People had to eat. They were going to get tired. They were going to deal with different situations. They were living in a real desolate place, a real wilderness, and they were surviving. And that's where Jesus walked. That's where Jesus walked into one of the dangerous things for us is if we're not careful, is that we, we, we can, Eugene Peterson said, we, one of the seductions that interferes with mature Christian living is the construction of utopias, ideal places where we can live the good life totally without inconvenience. We're constantly looking for just this utopia experience. If I can just get here in life, then things will just be easy. If I can just find this job, then it'll be easy. If I can just make it to retirement, then retirement will be easy. If I can just have the kids get a little bit older, then things will be easy. 
And if we're not careful, that's the life that immature Christians live. That's not the mature Christian living. Jesus walked and lived with real people in real places that were filled with wilderness, wrinkles, and wants, and people got hungry. And this is the context of Mark chapter 8. And all this had been going on, and it says, in those days, when all these people had been watching, in those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat, Jesus calls his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Jesus is uniquely perceptive. He is unbelievably perceptive. He says, I, I have compassion. You read all through the New Testament, there are a number of accounts where it says, we saw what Jesus did, and he had compassion. By what he did, he had compassion. He had compassion here. But in this account, it says, Jesus himself said, I have compassion on the crowd. And the word compassion that's used is different the Greek word for compassion in this passage is different than it's in other passages. It has this idea of just the, it's, it's the inner guts, his inner organs, his deep, that's how they would talk about emotions, and it's just this guttural, deep feeling. You've been in situations where your, your heart starts to beat, your stomach starts to turn, you feel it. This is how Jesus describes his feeling towards this crowd of people. It was unbelievably deep. I have and feel compassion. And what is it that he feels compassion about? What is it that makes Jesus look at this crowd of people and say, guys, my, my guts are turning inside me. I'm having an emotional response to these people. It was the potential that they would leave him and get hungry. That's what stirred Jesus' emotions. It was the potential and the possibility of suffering that made Jesus turn in his stomach, in his emotions. He felt it. You wonder, does Jesus care about me? Does he, does he really care about me? Jesus has unbelievable perception. And what turns the heart of God, what turns the compassion of Jesus, is not starving people dropping around. It's the idea that they might starve and drop around. He's moved with compassion by the thought of these people walking around. It's unbelievably deep, and it's unbelievably divine. Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, and in this picture, he's showing his disciples as you, they don't fully believe yet. Even his own disciples are trying to still struggle and figure out who he is. And so Mark, in these passages, he's saying he's taking his disciples away from Jewish areas to Gentile areas, and he's demonstrating his power to them to convince them and the people. And his compassion is unbelievably deep, and it's unbelievably divine, because this is how God feels about his people. This is the kind of compassion that God says. Has. 2 Corinthians 1 says, God the Father is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The Holy Spirit in John chapter 15 is said to be the comforter. And God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, there's one God, three persons. 
And by Jesus demonstrating this, he's showing that this, this, is, this is more than just a unique individual. This is God himself. This is how God feels about people. Psalm 78 says this, even very helpful psalm for us when we think about our sins and our struggles. Psalm 78, verse 35 says, They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, the Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast towards him. They were not afraid. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often, and he did not stir up all his wrath. That's how God is. He doesn't, doesn't, he has great compassion for people who don't always follow and don't follow his ways, who, 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 who don't go his ways. This was Jesus. Jesus was God. He was absolutely divine. Psalm 111, 4 says, He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. You start this week, and you're wondering, I look, what, I look what's going on. Look at my situation. Is God, do you care about it yet? And God says, yeah. My stomach turned at the thought of people maybe getting hungry. He is unbelievably compassionate. It's deep. It's divine. It's distributed. It's to the Jews and to the Gentiles. This is mainly a whole Gentile group of people. And he says, I'm, I'm stirred by this because if I let them go, they, they, they've been with us for three days now. Three days they've been following me in this desert area watching me do all these things. And if I send them away, they will faint on their way, which is the word is that they're going to fall, they're going to collapse, and they're going to go limp. And so it's not, he wanted to take care of all of them. He was concerned for all of them, and some of them were far away, and Jesus was very discerning in how he thought about this. I mean, his compassion moved him, his emotions were highly stirred, and so he, he thought about what to do. These, they're going to be gone, and they're going to be walking for another three days, maybe. I don't know how far they're coming from, and he was thinking about this for them. He's very thoughtful in his compassion, and he can be trusted because of this. He's, he's very per, uniquely perceptive. This is why the Bible says in Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge. Listen, everybody complains about life. Everybody does. The difference between Christians and non-believers in their complaints. We as Christians have this ability in, to take our complaints to God in lament. We can go to God and actually pour out our heart before him. We can take to him all our complaints. And we have a God who's going to hear us and he's going to be so concerned about it because he's, he was concerned about the potential of starving people and then it turned his stomach. Do you think he's not going to care about your concerns? He says, come to him, trust him at all Times Put your trust in God because Jesus is the one who's uniquely perceptive to your needs. But be very careful to not put your trust or your God trust in people. Some people that you maybe count on and maybe you put pressure on were never meant to carry the load that maybe you're putting on them. 
and you're getting really frustrated. You can't figure out why your life's not working out or why isn't that person stepping up for me? The Bible says to trust in Jesus. Trust in God at all times. Don't put your God trust in people. Put your God trust where it was meant to be carried. Pour it out to God because only Jesus, the disciples were his followers, they totally missed it. Nothing turned their stomachs. They weren't worried about it. They didn't even think about it. But Jesus is uniquely perceptive. So if you're, 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 you might be, maybe, in a situation where you're trying to figure out your life, you're trying to figure out a situation, and you're putting trust that should be only put in God into a husband, into a wife, into a church, into a job, into friends, and you're wondering why it won't work out for you. Because it's not going to work out for you. Only Jesus is uniquely perceptive to be able to help us. So we need to put our trust in him fully. He's uniquely perceptive. And then he gets with his disciples who've been with him a long time, and they start to doubt. You see this doubt. Jesus says that to them, and this is their response. And his disciples answered him, how, excuse me, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? They, they, they weren't sure what was going on. How are we going to do this? There are no stores anywhere near us. We are in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's desolate. If you read back to Mark chapter 6, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, Jesus was walking with his disciples in Galilee, and there was another massive crowd with him, and he did the exact same thing. This time he fed, the Bible says 5,000 men, which means there was women and children with him, so it could have been up to 25,000 people. It was just a few weeks or months ago, Jesus fed a large amount of people as well, but now he's saying the same thing to the disciples, and they just start to, to doubt. And people, scholars have read this passage and say, well, this can't be true. You know, this is not two different stories. There's the feeding of the 5,000. There's the feeding of the 4,000. This is all just one event. How how can they forget? How do you forget 5,000 people getting fed by loaves and fishes? And then a month later, you try to, how do you forget that? This must be just one event that they've made up and put together. It's a totally different event. First of all, it's in a different region. It's in a diff- there's a different number of people that were there. It was a different season in the Mark chapter 6, 5, feeding of the 5,000. He's told them to sit on the grass. This is a desolate place. There is no grass to sit on. And then in Mark, at the end of Mark chapter 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says himself in verses 19 and 20, remember when I fed the 5,000? I remember when I fed the 4,000? He, he distinctively knew that it was two different events. So how do the disciples who saw Jesus feed over 5,000 men, maybe 15, 20,000 people with, with loaves and fishes, how do they forget it this time? When a few months later, same situation, so much people, how, how do you forget it? The same way that we forget it. The same way we have forgotten what God can do for us on a Monday and then on a Friday, we were all back in panic and worry, wondering if God's going to come through for us. Can, can Christians forget what God's done for them? And I think that's what happened here. 
They weren't expecting Jesus to be this way. They didn't look at Jesus as some miracle every time something came up that he was going to do some miraculous event. That's not how they perceived Jesus. They were just trying to figure out how he was. But somehow they started to doubt in all of these things, even though they were different. But just notice the unbelievable patience of Jesus. He doesn't scold them. He just says, hey, I'm have all the people sit down. Just sit down. And how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. So he took the seven loaves, prayed, and he said, hey, Philip, take this. Peter, take this. James, take this. John, take this. And then come back. Take this. And they came back. John, take this. And, they came, and, he, and he just starts to create bread out of nothing. Any fish? Sure. And hey, take this. Take this. And he keeps using them. It, it, they, they walk, drop it off, they come back, they get some more. They walk, drop it off, they come back and get some more. There was human participation in the work of God. He didn't do a Jedi trick. He could have just said, be full, all of you. Fill them all up, be satisfied. He didn't do that. He said, guys, take this. And when, you, when you're done taking that, come back and get some more. And Jesus just stood there and made bread and made fish and fed 4,000 people. And he used doubting, struggling, weak people to help him accomplish what he was trying to do. Because Jesus is the provision. It was his power that was demonstrated in this. And he blessed them, and at the end of it all, it says in verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces, left over seven basket full, and there were about 4,000 people. Jesus is the provision. He demonstrated it by his power. He fed these people to the point they were satisfied. You ever been invited over to somebody's house and they say, we, we, just, we made a lot of extra food, um, come on over, and you get over there, and they didn't make a lot of extra food, they just thought they made a lot of extra food, and you've got to sit there and try to not take too much because what you, they thought was a lot wasn't a lot, and you've got to be, try to be satisfied. This is not what happened with Jesus. He just kept passing out bread and fish and bread and fish, bread and fish, until these people were full, and they were satisfied. They, they were ready to go. That is the power of of God, and then they took up baskets. In the 5,000 feeding in chapter 6, it talks about they picked up 12 baskets afterwards. And these were, these, the, the word that they used for baskets were the little lunch baskets. They had some leftovers. In this one, the word for basket that is used was the word that they used for these big baskets that they would carry things in. The Apostle Paul was let over a city wall in a basket, the Bible says in Acts, and it's the exact same word. When Jesus was done, he, they picked up seven big man-sized baskets fulls of leftovers that he had just, and people were satisfied. You, you have a perplexing question about life? So did the disciples a few days, a few moments later. They get into a boat and then now verse 14 of Mark 8, they had forgotten again to bring bread. This was a problem for these guys. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out between the leaven and the load. 
the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Have, you not, have your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? They said 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Jesus is the provision. He's the provision for your life. You have a perplexing question. It's been gnawing at you for years. It's coming up again. You're struggling with it. What's God doing with my life? How is God going to work in this situation? The answer is Jesus. He is the provision. He's going to take you, take, carry you through. This is what he does. He, he is, it's his power demonstrated. And he uses those to say, remember the last time? Keep coming back to me, but just do you remember the last time I helped you? I'm going to help you again. He is powerful in his provision. He's absolutely persistent. He just kept passing it out. There are many people, even in this church and in this room, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. And you've got a family that's not coming to, remember to come to Christ. The, 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 the situation's not quite working out. You're, you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're wondering, is it really worth it anymore? And you might start to lower the bar. You want your kids to be saved. You want your grandkids to be saved. And you've prayed, it doesn't seem like it's happening. And you think, well, maybe I'll just lower the bar. So I don't have to feel so bad about it. I don't have to struggle so much with it. And you, you just maybe lower the bar. And we forget that Jesus is the provision. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says and if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing and in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel the glory of christ who is the image of god for what we proclaim is not ourselves but jesus christ as lord with ourselves as your servants for jesus sake jesus christ is Lord. He is a Savior, but He's Lord. And as Lord, He saves people. And if you are perplexed and you wonder, should I just pursue or should I lower the bar for what I thought God wanted? Don't lower the bar. Jesus is absolutely persistent. He's Lord. And people are perishing because they're Lives and their minds and their hearts have been blinded by Satan. It's not just that they don't believe, they are blinded by Satan. The only way that they are going to see is if Jesus wakes them up through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And the only way he's going to wake them up is if we continue to do what Jesus did, which was just stay persistent in our faith, believing. Because Jesus is the provision. And he was just consistently, persistently passing out and creating in life. And only Jesus can do it. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, and you're praying for one of your children, one of your grandkids, and you're wondering, should I keep praying? Keep praying. Because it's Jesus who is persistent. He is Lord and sovereign over all. He opens up blind eyes that have been blinded by Satan. Ray Steadman tells the story of a man who's a genius, absolute genius. But his life started to fall apart. He started to go after his wife, started to go after his kids. His family fall, fell apart. His wife was a Christian, uh, or, or, and she said, hey, go talk to this guy. So she, he went to this, talked to Ray Steadman, who was a pastor at the time. They met for about an hour, and they started to talk, and Ray says, I, I talked to this guy for about an hour, and I realized that nothing I said was getting through, and nothing I said mattered to him. And he said, after that hour, I said to him, you know what? There's nothing I can do for you. But what I will do for you is if you'll come back once a week, I'll pray, and I'll read the Bible with you. And the guy said, my life's falling apart. Sure, I'll come back. He'd come back for week after week after week. Ray would pray and read the Bible with him, and he would say, did anything make sense to you? Anything stand out to you? And the guy would say, no, nothing. Nothing means anything to me. I said, okay, come back next week. Months and months and months would go by. He'd pray, read, and say, does any, anything stick out to you? You feel anything? Nope, means nothing to me. Nothing. And months and months and months and months, and one day he was reading Scripture and praying. He said, anything stick out to you? Any feel anything? And he said, well, that one thing that you said about Jesus, that, that kind of made sense to me. He said, good. So he prayed and they left. Week after week, and eventually, eventually, more and more things started to make sense. He started to feel things until he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is absolutely persistent. He stands there and uses broken people. He says, just keep coming back. I'm going to just keep passing it out. I know it seems like we're in a desolate place, but I'm the provision. And the way I am the provision is I came and I gave my life and I let it get broken and shattered for you, for the sins of the world, for that those who believe and come to me can have life that aren't desolate and that aren't without meaning. And Jesus gave us a meal to remember it. And when we come and take the bread and take the cup, we're remembering what Jesus did for us, that he is perceptive of our lives. He is powerful, even in our own doubts. And he is the provision. So we just keep coming. We take the bread, we take the cup, we remember. We just keep coming. And Jesus will be our provision.